Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Melanie Hamlet. And I saw this guy working, kneading dough, which is like the hottest thing to watch if he's like a very good looking. I mean, you're just like, that's my boob. That's my butt. That and more. But before that, I just want to remind everyone that Risk is at the Bell House in Brooklyn on Wednesday, October 26th with Broadway legend Charles Bush. Come on out, New York City. Everyone agrees there's nothing like seeing the show live, like being there, right there in Brooklyn. We have so much fun. Like, we're going to have a shit ton of fun on Wednesday, October 26th at the Bell House. Now, I want to play a little song for you, and I want to remind you that there is the actual sound of me having multiple orgasms, real documentary footage in this here song. With the holidays almost here, you don't have time to go to the post office. It will be packed with so many people you'll want to scream, so use stamps.com instead. You use your own computer and printer to print your U.S. postage for your letters and packages. We use stamps.com. Why don't you use stamps.com? Right now, get this special offer when you use my promo code RISK. It's a no-risk trial, and we know that's just confusing. <gasps> Plus $110 bonus off for the digital scale. And free postage. Go to stamps.com before anything else. Click the mic on the homepage and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Edgar Meyer and Chris Thiele behind me now. Now, we have one hell of an episode today. We have one of our favorites, Melanie Hamlet, just one of the most brilliant, most original voices that we have regularly featured on the show. I met Melanie when I first started Risk and first started just telling stories in general, and she was instantly like one of the warmest individualistic individuals, one of those people that just celebrates being unique, celebrates trying to live authentically. She was one of those people that just made me feel immediately, oh, I have found a community. I have found the form that I really want to specialize in because people doing this work, sharing stories like this, the extent to which they're willing to just keep peeling away the layers and keep revealing things about themselves. Fascinating. I love Melanie very dearly. 
Now, you might be used to hearing Melanie share funny stories on the show. She is hilarious. But this one today gets pretty serious. Uh, People who have experienced domestic abuse, sexual assault, might uh, have a hard time with this one today. So be warned that this will be a, a more challenging story. It's also going to be a full hour, so we're going to try to leave it uninterrupted. So before we get to the story, I want to address an idea I was just talking about, community. I was talking about the storytelling community. There's another community that I've discovered since we started Risk in 2009, and that is you guys, the fans. Now, we are now in our eighth year, and I got to be honest, we, we still struggle trying to figure out how to keep this all going financially and in terms of human resources, but we're also trying to figure out, okay, what's next? And we keep coming back to the question, how might the fans be able to guide us as to where we might go next. So I have created a questionnaire via Google. I'm going to be tweeting out the link for this questionnaire on a regular basis for the next week or so. And if you go to our Facebook page, At Risk Show, you'll see us talking about it there too. It's very easy to fill this thing out. You can pick and choose what questions you want to answer or not. This is not marketing, by the way. We're not collecting email addresses. We're not asking, you know, how much money you make or whether you're white or black or whatever. We're literally asking questions from our risk community about how we should go forward. Let me walk you through a few of these. The first one is we want to name our community. What should we call risk fans? We've already got some answers here. Someone suggested risklets, risk heads, risques. <laughs> All right. The next one was how might we attract more listeners to the shows? Any idea how to expand our listenership? Someone wrote in crossover episodes with other storytelling podcasts. Someone wrote in have Kevin publish a medium piece about how important risk is to listeners. I could certainly do that. We're thinking of creating a spin-off audio podcast. What might you like to hear in a podcast produced by us, but that is different from risk? Someone wrote in conversations with brief stories. Next question was what sort of stories would you like to hear more of on the show? Someone wrote in I guarantee there are scientists and mathematicians with stories from their professional lives that would be interesting to hear on risk. I I think that that's true. Feel free to be repetitive because the more we hear of something, the more likely it'll make an impression on us. Anyway, there's more questions there, so please fill out the survey. You know, we're trying to figure out ways that we can be more engaged with our audience. Should we create meetups in your town or story slams? Should we create online hangouts or contests or what other kinds of activities could we create that would be easy and fun for you to participate in? If you have ideas of where we should look for more stories, communities we should reach out to, or ways to get the word out that we are looking for more stories, for God's sakes, that's the hardest part of what we do, 
finding good stories. And more than anything, I created this survey because I'm just so very aware that it is reactions from you, the listeners, that have really shaped what we've become. So if you go to Twitter or Facebook, you'll see me talking about this survey there. In both places, we're at Risk Show, and on Twitter, I'm at the Kevin Allison. Or if you just want to write this down, the link is lowercase bit dot ly slash two lowercase d uppercase e nine uppercase s lowercase ds. <laughs> it's a charming link. <laughs> now. Because this story is going to be uninterrupted, I want to just take a moment now to talk to you about Article. Article Article.com, the furniture they have, is ridiculously gorgeous. Article has completely rethought the way that furniture is traditionally produced and sold. Uh, The stuff is beautiful, affordable. It's direct to your home. They sent me a couch. It's called Nirvana. And it is. It is so comfy and handsome. They have a well-thought-out collection of modern and mid-century modern pieces to choose from. Thousands of positive reviews, radically lower pricing than you'd be expecting, and 30-day no-questions-asked return guarantee. You'll see why more and more people are getting a better value and a better experience and buying furniture online from Article. Like I said, my couch is is so gorgeous and adult looking that I'm still taken aback every time I enter the other room. All right. You can visit their website at article.com slash risk and listeners of risk will get $50 off your first order. That's article.com slash risk. Also, are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place is certainly not enough to find quality candidates. You want to find the perfect hire. You need to post your job on all the job sites. And now you can with ZipRecruiter.com. You can post your job to 100 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. And right now... Risk listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash risk. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash risk. One more time, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash risk. Okay, so I just scared Donkey. That's my cat, in case you don't know. Let's get to the Melanie Hamlet story now. Like I said, it is rather a roller coaster ride here, so buckle your seatbelts. You can always find her at melaniehamlet.com. Here she is now with a story we call Unbreakable. <laughs> Unbreakable. 
So I left New York City with the intention of probably moving to L.A., but I stopped in Taos, New Mexico, because it's kind of like a home base for me. I've spent a lot of time there, and it's a soul-searching type place. Before I decided even to leave New York, I'd gone to Taos for a wedding, and I walked into the pizza place to visit my friend who owns the pizza place. And I saw this guy working, kneading dough, which is like the hottest thing to watch if he's like a very good looking. I mean, you're just like, that's my boob. That's my butt. You know what I mean? Oh, and he's just like slapping it. <laughs> and I was just like, who is that? I mean, I didn't say, you know, I mean, I've casually was like, who's that coming in there? Oh, that's Jesse, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. And I was just visiting on vacation, but I remember thinking, mm, you know. And then months later, when I came back to actually kind of move there for a little while and just kind of figure out what I'm going to do, I thought I was going to be writing my book. My friend gave me a job at this pizza place, and there he was. Good old Jesse needing that dough. You know, and he looked at me like in a way where I was like, oh, he knows that I know, you know, and I don't really have chemistry with a lot of guys. And at this point in my life, I had been working really, really hard on trying to learn how to have a relationship. All I'd had up till this point was one night stands, hate fucks, or long periods of abstinence. Twice in my life in college and in my 20s, I went five years without fucking or kissing or even touching a single guy. Well, in college, I kissed a couple, but that was it, you know, because um, I was so afraid of losing myself in a relationship. I was like big, tough, outdoors woman, and I didn't want that to go away because I knew men were my weakness. And I was afraid of intimacy. I was terrified of getting hurt. So I worked up to this place where I was finally ready to have a relationship because I'd had a few, like, many relationships and realized what I was missing and how wonderful this might be. And I also had really high self-esteem, finally. After, like, years of self-destruction and all this stuff, I finally really liked who I was. Because if you don't like yourself, that will ruin your relationship. So I was in such a good place when I showed up in Taos. So, you know, there was the flirting. There was just this attraction. He was also, like, super outdoorsy looking, which is my type. He had, like, one of those, like, it was not quite, like, a ZZ Top beard, but it was a little on the long side. He had, like, you know, the plaid shirt, like, long sleeve shirt rolled up, and he had, like, these tattoos. He had, like, one of those smiles where his chin goes out, so it's, like, almost childlike. He was just, like, hot. He always laughed at my jokes, <laughs> which is always a turn-on for me because I like it when guys laugh at my jokes. I knew right away he wasn't the smartest guy. Like, he'd never been to college. Like, I couldn't actually have, like, intellectual conversations with him or whatever. But he had the same life experience. He had the same, like, life education that very few people do. I thought, well, this guy's like me, you know, because I've been a raft guide and a ski instructor. I lived in my truck for five years. I've been a nomad. I've lived all over South America and Europe and, you know, never set roots myself. He rides the rails. He rode the rails for 10 years. You know, and he loved my stories of travel and stuff. We had this thing. We had this connection of being, like, free spirits. And he seemed so drawn to me and, like, weak in the knees. And I'm not used to that kind of attention from men. And I'm not really used to someone being that crazy about me. So my ego really loved that. But I knew from experience that fucking a guy on the first day or fucking a guy right away never works out in my favor because then I get dickmatized, right? Because my vagina, especially if they're good and what they're doing, my vagina always gets veto power over logic and my heart and my intuition. That's how I've ended up in so many terrible situations. 
<laughs> so I knew I should not sleep with this person right away because I actually liked him. And we worked together. And, you know, there's nothing hotter than, like, having a forbidden romance. And we're at this pizza place where the kitchen staff can see the wait staff. Like, there's just a big open kind of window. There's no wall there. So he'd be literally kneading that dough looking at me like he wants to fuck my brains out. And then when he'd stop, he'd pick up his phone and text me like some really dirty shit. We'd be texting each other through this window without anybody knowing and like just getting away with it. I knew that I shouldn't do this because my friend owns this business and I don't want to bring drama into this business and relationships always have drama. So we would like go out to the shed. You know, I would like go out to the shed to get some Cokes and he would go out there and he'd be smoking a cigarette and then we'd have like secret hugs. <laughs> and like the buildup was so intense. Like I totally fell for him before I even had sex with him. <laughs> but what really got me was, so first of all, like I found out that my book did not sell. So now I'm in a town in the middle of nowhere and I have no idea why I'm there or what I'm going to do. The kicker was, our dishwasher at work died in a terrible drunk driving accident. And I was really upset by it, and everybody was. And we went to his funeral, and at his funeral, I see, like, the mother of our friend, you know, whose son has just died. She comes up to us and thanks us for being there, and he just gives her this hug, and she cries on his shoulder. And I was like, oh, wow, like, he is, like, a really emotionally mature guy. He's not afraid to cry, and that's really hard to come across in men, guys who aren't afraid to cry in front of women. Like, that really, like... And we've just bonded over, like, crying about this loss. So I, I, it was just the perfect storm for me to just fall into something really intense with someone. I was lost, and he was there. I've been so guarded and never let men do things for me. I'm the opposite of damsel in distress. Like, to a fault, I don't let men help me. And I remember one day I woke up in my, my, I went to go get in my truck and uh, the tire was flat. And like the tires on my truck are really hard to get off because there's so much rust and stuff. Like even men can't get it off. And I remember thinking, well, I could call AAA, but I also could just call Jesse and see if he wants to do it because I'd never let myself go down that road. And he was like, I'll be right over. He came over and watching him fix my tire was the hottest thing other than kneading dough that I've ever seen. <laughs> and, I mean, it took him a while to get that thing off because it was, like, really on there. And then afterwards, I was like, do you want to come inside? Because <laughs> it's the first time he'd ever been to my house. I created all these rules <laughs> because I didn't trust myself. So I was like, we can't touch, no touching, you know what I mean? I'm like, can't hook up, you know, no, no kissing. So he's sitting in the chair, and I'm sitting in, on the ottoman right in front of him, and we're talking, and then... He basically just like looks over at me and like lifts me up and puts me on his lap. And I'm like the strong, tough woman. And I'm like, oh, wow. You know, like I liked that he was kind of took charge. And so we're sitting there and like we can't touch. I was like, you know, no kissing. And so he's like, oh, I'm not. And he just basically rubs his nose. Like we, we like have our cheeks next to each other. And then he just rubs his nose slowly all over my face and then just like his hands caress my arms I'm wearing I'm wearing all my clothes I can feel his boner but like we're not going there you know it's just caressing which I love but no one ever caresses me you're a single woman no one ever touches you you know unless you're in a relationship and I was just like ugh and like he basically just went along my entire body he didn't put me on the bed 
and caress my entire body with like his nose or his hands without actually touching any of my like pink parts. <laughs> and it's the most erotic thing I've ever experienced. Way better than any sex I've ever had. It's just this buildup of anticipation, you know? But I had still told myself, no, 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 we're not kissing though. <laughs> my body's already fallen for him even though he's never been inside of it. I just figured, I'm like the Jane Goodall of people. <laughs> I am fascinated by human beings. You know, I love going anywhere and just being like, wow, like, I just want to know everything about you. So, I mean, I was fascinated by him and his life. He held my hand in public. And I don't really remember anyone doing that, or, or at least doing that with someone that I wasn't ashamed to be holding my hand. And... He washed my hair when we would shower together. I never showered with anyone before. I was like, oh, I didn't know this was a thing. Like, you could do this. And he would wash my hair, and it was so tender. Like, he would hold my head in an angle so that the water spout wouldn't go right into my ear. You know, when I was driving my truck, I have a stick shift, and he would put his hand on top of mine and, like, lace his fingers with mine. Like, little things like that. I think I fell in love with that. I've always been known as this like sexual woman who's like, eh, you know, and like emotionally uninvolved, but fuck dude, I'm a woman and I'm a human being and I want love and I want affection and I want all of those things, you know, that I've always told people I don't need or want. And this is the first time I was able to actually acknowledge that and it felt really fucking good, you know? When I first met him, we, we were flirting and then like two weeks into flirting, I heard him talk about how his girlfriend was gonna come pick him up at work. And I was like, wait, what? And we got in this fight over. He's like, why didn't you tell me you had a girlfriend? I've been flirting with you this whole time. And he was like, well, she's not really my girlfriend. Like, we live together and we're pretty much broken up, but I just haven't gotten a new place yet. So we're just kind of friends. Like, we don't even sleep together or whatever. And you know, you know that she had a whole different story. So it was also this forbidden romance in that level, because I'm like, well, Clearly these two are not meant to be together. And like that was another reason why I was holding off too, is I didn't want to be the other woman. As soon as we started having sex, then, I mean, you know, my heart and my vagina are connected for the first time in my life. You know, and then I basically start falling in love with this person. I became really jealous and was just like, wait a second, like, I don't want to be someone's side dish. And now I am the side dish. Now I'm this other woman and it makes me feel bad about myself. And it's not fair to her. You know, I was texting him about this a lot, being like, dude, you need to leave. You need to leave her or you can't fuck me anymore. And, you know, some of his texts that he would send back were just full of excuses and not taking responsibility for how inconsiderate it was to me and her. I remember sitting in my chair in my house and I read this one text. I basically called him out on something that he totally did, like like something, they went on some trip and he told me some detail and I was like, look, until you get out of this relationship, I don't want to know any details about you and your girlfriend. <laughs> like, do you have any idea how hard this is for me to like you and know that you're not available to me? <laughs> and his text back was along the lines of gaslighting, where he totally avoided taking responsibility for his part in this. Or he blamed her. Well, she's such a bitch and won't let me leave or something like that. And I remember thinking, wait a second, she's a victim in this situation. Why is this isn't her fault? This is not the kind of text I want to get from someone I want to date. <laughs> I mean, that's my intuition, screaming at me like, come on, it's not too late. You're not actually dating this person. 
You're just really attached to them. And I thought, mm, I don't care. I made that willful decision that day. I don't care. What's the worst that can happen? I'm not here that long. I'm going to move to L.A. at some point. Like, I'm already in this. So I'm like, fuck it. The ego wants what it wants. It doesn't care what the intuition wants. I had a trip planned to come out and see L.A., see if I really wanted to move here. And I basically gave him an ultimatum before I left. And I was like, look, I'm not doing this anymore. It's killing my self-esteem. It's hurting her. You're being really selfish, and you need to make a decision. Part of me, that part of me, that intuitive part was kind of like, good, this will be three weeks away from him. You will get over him. Like, by the time you come back, you'll be strong. But there was that part of me that was like, yeah, I'm doing an ultimatum, and he better break up with that girl. And I went all of his away. He broke up with her. He moved out of her house and moved into a backpack. (laughs) And so in Joshua Tree, on a climb, 100, 200 feet in the air, and I, my cell phone worked for the first time in days, and I got that text, and he goes, I left her. <laughs> my gut reaction was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> the rest of me was like, well, okay, cool, like, we can be together, you know, but my gut reaction was like, <gasps> He told me to pick him up at the coffee shop, and he had a banjo and a backpack. <laughs> And he put it in the back of my truck, and I guess, I guess we're going to my house. <laughs> and I remember, like, laughing myself, like, I'm dating someone who, who has a banjo and a backpack, and that's it. <laughs> so I set some rules, you know, like, okay, look, I know you don't have a home, but you can't stay at my house every night. So he's like, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, me, and, me and one of our coworkers, they borrowed someone's van, another coworker's van, and all three of them were living in a van down by the river. <laughs> I even went and visited him at the campground once, and the guy slept outside and let me sleep in the van with him, but down by the river, <laughs> when this van's a rocking, don't come a knocking, you know, like. Huh. So, you know, in the beginning, I had these rules, like, you know, only three nights a week. Because I know from all of my friends, like, what good rules are in a relationship in terms of, like, how to have a healthy relationship. That lasted not long because, you know, his van, the guy with the van ended up moving into another town. And now he's couch, you know, and then it, and it just, like, I even got him a house-sitting gig at my friend's house just to give him a place that wasn't mine so that I wouldn't get, you know, immersed in this person. I got him dog sitting gigs. I even one of my friends even offered to let him have a truck so he could even live in his own truck so that he had a home base because I just intuitively knew that my home is very important to me and I'm not ready to move in with someone. I just fucking started dating him, you know. You know, I'd never been in a relationship before. And I'm used to doing everything on my own, traveling on my own, which I like, but you know, you get to a point in your life where it gets lonely and when you're this old like you can't meet people everywhere you go because it's just, uh, it's hard. And so after we finally were like together, we started taking adventures every weekend. And this is literally the first time in my life I've ever had a travel partner. So fun. Like we, and he travels like I do. Like he just goes with the flow. We ended up in all these like crazy conversations with people because he's as open as I am. He'll talk to anybody. It was just nice knowing, like, we got in a couple situations when we were camping where we got a gun pulled on us, and I felt, like, really 
good knowing that I have a man with me in case anything weird happens. I'm not used to having someone who might protect me. But even on those trips, like, he just would, you know, lose his temper over the weirdest shit. And at work, every time a male customer would come in, because he could watch me, remember, there's no window, he would be like, why were you flirting with that guy? He would, just, he would start harassing me at work with these texts. I'm like, I'm not flirting with that guy. He ordered a large pizza with cheese and pepperoni. And you have to make it now. That's your job. We're doing our jobs here, you know? And he, he was like he was drunk on anger and jealousy, you know? And you can't reason with someone in that state. And, like, we would have a fight over that. And, uh, and I'm like, you can't talk to me that way. I'm going to talk to whoever I want. You're going to have to get over it. But those fights weren't very often. But they started getting more and more. And with relationships like this, they beat you down because they get madder and madder more often. And then you just stop talking because you don't want to deal with having that fucking fight again of being like, no, I'm not fucking him. I'm fucking you. I'm just sharing a piece of pizza with him because it's free and clearly I'm not flirting with him. And it got to the point where things like started to actually frighten me, his jealousy and his anger. The longer we were together, the more I realized I'm his fucking mother, not his partner. I'm dating a two-year-old. I remember one day, so he had back problems. He wouldn't go to the doctor. He wouldn't go to the doctor, wouldn't take care of himself. I finally made him go after we had this big, terrible blowout at a Renaissance <laughs> festival. Because <laughs> he, he got mad that his costume was stupid and I looked super hot in mine. And that some of the other fucking knights were like talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, all those guys, they just want to fuck you. And I'm like, I just asked the knights to take a picture with me because they're wearing cool costumes. Like, everything was about me wanting to fuck some other man. And for the first time in my life, I didn't want to fuck another man. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, like, so horny. I'm always thinking about sex. I'm always looking for guys I can fuck. I'm almost like a dude in that way. I'm, like, always looking for that. And for the first time in my life, I don't want to fuck anyone but him. I'm totally loyal to this person. And yet everything I do, he thinks I'm trying to fuck some other dude. And uh, that whole thing ended up when we were in a hotel room that night, him pitching a fit about that and the fact I wouldn't like loan him money so we could buy a kilt. <laughs> and he like threw a jar across the room and it really scared me. And I was like, oh shit, he's someone who throws stuff. Uh-oh. Because <laughs> he never, it hadn't escalated to that yet, you know? But he always used his back hurting to justify it because he had tweaked his back. So I was like always rubbing his back, trying to make his back feel better, trying to get him to go to the doctor. He never would. So after that trip, I was like, look, you need to go to the hospital. We got to deal with your back. On the way to the emergency room, we stopped by my house because, again, he would be very upset at the hospital if we had to wait. So I packed a whole, like a, basically a diaper bag for my fucking two-year-old. I got some books. I got a Kindle. I got some snacks. So Jesse won't get mad. And then in the hospital room, we ended up waiting for like 12 hours, which would really weigh on anybody. But by the time we got our own room, he was really fucking pissed. I did everything to try to keep him calm, and he threw a fucking chair across the room. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a guy who throws a lot of things. <laughs> and that's when I was like, what have I gotten myself into? Because now I'm legitimately afraid of my partner and I'm dating him and I work with him and he lives with me more or less. How the fuck do I get out of this relationship? And I fucking love him and I care about him and I've become his caretaker in so many levels. It's the biggest mind fuck. 
ever. He was like always talking about wanting to get married. And I remember in my head thinking like, there's no fucking way I would ever marry you. But then this other part of me was like, well, I don't know. We get along. <laughs> but, you know, those are a red flag. Someone you just met, you just started dating is like, I want to marry you. It's like, why? Every woman I know who's been in an abusive relationship, the man always wanted to marry them right away. To me, it's a huge red flag because they want to possess you. They want you legally bound to them, you know. Um, I knew I couldn't break up with him and work with him. I knew that he wouldn't leave me alone. I knew we could. It would. It would be catastrophic, and I didn't want to bring my friend who owns the restaurant into any of that garbage. So at first, I was like, "Well, I'll just hold out. You can do two more months of this stuff." I had an idea of when I wanted to leave was the fall. I kind of had some plans going in, in LA to kind of give me that accountability so I would have to leave. I got like a job lined up and then things would just get worse and worse. And like every time I tried to break up with him, he would use killing himself as, you know, I'm going to kill myself. So at one point in time, I, you know, kind of like hinted about breaking up and he was like, yeah, go ahead. When those videos go viral, then we'll see what you think. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, those videos of you uh, going down on me. And I was like, we never took videos. And he's like, sure. And then he never said anything else about it, right? You know, he was, he was always lying. He lied about everything. So I was like, whatever. So after that, one night we were at work and he got super duper drunk. And I was actually quite afraid of how drunk he was. And I took him back to my place because at this point in time, he lived in my fucking house. Like, he was there full time. And I knew I was going to leave him. And I suspected there was stuff on his phone. I was afraid that there was stuff that he could actually use against me. So when he was drunk, I broke into his phone and I found three videos of me giving him a blowjob <laughs> and videos of the ex-girlfriend giving him blowjobs. And then I found in his text that he'd been flirting with some other girl and trying to start a relationship with another girl. And that was the kicker. I was like, okay, I've been putting up with all this bullshit but he's fucking cheating on me on top of that? Like, that's it, you know? And I erased all of the videos. And the thing is, is like, I had no idea that he'd even been taking those videos. Because when I give a blowjob, I'm fucking focused. I'm doing my job, you know? Like, that's all I care about. I didn't know he's all just, like, recording that shit. I remember looking up once and seeing he had his phone. And I was like, why is he checking a text right now? Because it never occurred to me that a man would film me without my permission. So I was so pissed when I found these, these files. I erased all of them. I texted the girl and I go, hey, this is Jesse's girlfriend. Just wanted you to know he's a lying and an asshole. And uh, you know, <laughs> good luck. Have fun with him, you know. And I was like, that's it. Tomorrow morning, I'm breaking up with this fucking guy. I am done. The next morning, he woke up, doesn't remember anything, is still kind of drunk. And I was thinking, like, how do I break up with him in a way that's safe? And um, I was going to wait to text him while he was at work because I didn't trust being alone in a house with him. He woke up and he goes, I'm not going into work today. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> but you have to go to work, you know? And I finally said, I go, well, you can't stay here. And then he was like, why? And then that started the whole conversation and it became yelling. He took my television and threw it at me. And that scared the shit out of me. So I grabbed my phone and I started, because I don't have cell service at my fucking house because it's New Mexico. You can sometimes get a text you know, so I texted my friend Eric, who has kind of been the guy I talked to about all this stuff, but I never knew, he never knew the level of it. And I was like, hey, uh, can you come over? I need help. <laughs> and then Jesse comes up to me and says, 
who are you texting? You know, he freaks out because he knows I'm reaching to the outside world. He wrestles me to the ground, pens me down. Like, I had no idea this guy was that strong until this moment because he'd never actually physically, like, restrained me. And, you know, I remember from, like, self-defense class that you're supposed to go for something on their face. <laughs> but it was a long time since I took this class. So I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to do something in his face that will, like, take him down. So I stuck my hand in his mouth. <laughs> you're supposed to go for the eyes. That's what gets them off of you. But I went and I stuck my hand in his mouth to try to, like, yank at his cheek or something. And he bit down so hard on my fingers, I thought I was going to lose my hand. And I screamed at the top of my lungs. And luckily, the owner of the house lives upstairs. And my scream is what made him stop because he knew that she might be up there and hear it. And that's when I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, this guy's going to kill me. So as soon as, like, he got off of me, I grabbed my phone and I ran up out into the front yard. And then the woman upstairs said, are you okay? And I go, no, I'm not. I need your help right now. And then he comes out and he's all like, hey, you know, because they don't want to be that way in front of anyone else. And uh, she got her boyfriend to take him to work to get him out of there. So at that moment, I was like, I thought I was done. I thought I'd broken up with him. And my friend Eric came in and tried to help me. And he, he came over and he goes, I'm getting all his stuff out of here. You're not to talk to him. I'm going to text him right now and tell him all the conversation goes to me. And this guy was a stand-up dude, man. He, he showed up for me the way any woman in this situation would love to have someone stand up. I refrained from texting him for a while. All day, I was getting texts. Please, baby, don't do this to me. What? You know, that, that please, baby, please, baby. You know, like the whole like roses kind of thing. And then when that wasn't working, then he basically said, I'm going to jump off the bridge. And that's what got me because it's the trick of all tricks. You know what I mean? I knew I would never live with myself if he killed himself because of me. And he had actually threatened killing himself many times. And I knew it was bullshit because I know that's a narcissistic trick. He would say, sure, go ahead. If you break up with me, they're going to find me hanging from a tree with a note around my neck that says, this is what happens when you love Melanie Hamlet. <laughs> Which, you know, I knew was bullshit, right? Like, I know that that's a trick, but this is the only person I've ever loved. And he seemed like such a nice boy when I first met him. And now he's a fucking scary man. Maybe I am what caused this. I knew it couldn't be true. But like you hold that I'm going to commit suicide thing over my head. And now it wouldn't work. I would be like, fine, go, go kill yourself. They're never going to. But they know it works. After that, you know, I ended up just slowly letting him back in, you know, like under new rules. I was like, all right, you know, because the whole committing suicide thing, I had a good talk with him. I, I actually think of it as like the goodwill hunting talk. <laughs> I sit him down on a bench and I'm like, look, here's what's wrong, you know, and I, I think maybe this will change. Maybe, you know, and you can't treat me this way. You can't call me a slut anymore. You can't do that, you know, and I basically laid down the law and he's like, oh, yes, oh, no, 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 I won't, you know, whatever. I totally believe that shit. And he actually was on his best behavior for two weeks. And then he got crazy again because, you know, he can't help himself. I just kept thinking to myself, just wait, you know, you're leaving October 1st. You can wait one more month. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Because <laughs> you know also that leaving, like, look what happened when I tried to leave. How do I know he's not going to do more? And then the part of me that loves him and is drawn to him and, like, believes in this old person. And you keep thinking of that person that you fell in love with and their potential. 
who you believe deep down they could be if they didn't have all this darkness. You know, people always think of abusers as monsters. They're not monsters. They're all around us. They're among us. They're people with darkness. They're human beings. I would never fall in love with a fucking monster. He's a human being, and people don't get that. And so I gave him a second chance and thought, I just put up with it for this long until I can just get out. And then I went to a friend's wedding. He wasn't supposed to come to the wedding with me, and he kind of manipulated me into going to the wedding with him. And I was like, fine. He showed up at the wedding with a dozen roses, which is like the most selfish thing you can do, show up at a wedding with a dozen roses for some other girl that's not the fucking bride. You know what I mean? Like, that just says it all right there. Everyone was like, why is he giving you? I'm like, I don't, I don't even know. I was so embarrassed, you know. But there was something going on with him that day that between the reception and the, the ceremony, we went back to my house and we fucked. But it was like a really weird kind of fucking, like, he had a look in his eye that was really weird. It wasn't normal sex. It was like he was possessed by something. So then we went to the reception after that, and he got really wasted. And I was like, oh, fuck. Now I got to deal with wasted Jesse again. I had to leave the wedding early, the reception early, because I had to take care of him. And he was house-sitting for someone that week, because I was like, oh, good, I'll get him out of my house a little bit. I took him to his place that he was staying. So I let him, like, pass out on the couch in front of the TV. I put in, like, Young Guns 2 or some shit, you know? And he, like, passed out watching that. And I remember thinking to myself, what's the best choice right now? Should I go back to my house? Because I don't really feel safe with him because he's super fucking drunk. And if he wakes up, I could be in trouble. If I leave and he wakes up and I'm not here, he's going to drive to my house, wasted, and be really fucking pissed. So I went into the guest bedroom where we were, we were gonna both sleep, but he passed out on the couch. I went in the guest bedroom, closed the door, in the middle of the night, he comes in pissed. Why am I out there sleeping? Why'd you let me sleep? You know, whatever. And then I play asleep, I play dead. And I just hoped if he thought I was asleep, he'd leave me alone, you know? He crawled in the bed. He started trying to have sex with me and I played dead. You know, first you know, fingers and then grabbing my boobs and then just full-on getting on top of me. And finally, I was like, okay, this playing dead thing's not really working out. So I was like, mm. I pretend like I was waking up, you know. Oh, what, what, what? You know, it's don't, you know. And it's like he wasn't there because all of a sudden his voice was like almost demonic. And he, I was like, started saying no. And he was like, yes, yes. And it scared me because I, I could hear in his voice he wasn't going to take no for an answer. But I fought him off for a while, and it worked. He finally gave up and, you know, rolled back over. And I thought, oh, God, here, maybe maybe I got out of this. And then, sure enough, he started, you know, grabbing me and stuff again. And this time, there was no resisting him. He got on top of me. And this man's strong, you know, like he's not huge, but I can't him like I tried and I tried to push him off and I even said you're raping me right now and then none of that got through to him and he just kept doing it you know he was trying to butt fuck me and we, and we he'd already tried to do that in the past and I kind of had let him once and it hurt so bad and I shit my pants the whole next day that I was like we're never doing that again and we hadn't and now he's trying to butt rape me and I was like no 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 you know so when I realized there's nothing I can do to stop this man I redirected it into my vagina at least because if I'm gonna fucking get raped I don't want to bleed coming out of this thing 
And finally, I just, I gave up. I couldn't fight anymore. There was nothing I can do, and he just raped me. And he didn't just do it. He hooked his finger in my, the side of my cheek like a fish hook and pulled my hair like I'm a fucking horse and did his thing. And the whole time I, while it was happening, you know, you kind of disassociate and you just, you're not there emotionally. And I was thinking, wow, okay, I'm getting raped right now. Okay. Yeah. Ah, you know, but uh, it didn't really hit me in what was happening till the next day. When I woke up, I got a text from my friend who had seen him at the wedding, and it's just very intuitive, and she sent me a text and said, hey, you want to come over for coffee? And I was like, uh, sure. And when I got over there, she was like, I'm really worried about you. Did something happen last night? And I was like, and I laughed when I said it. I was like, well, <laughs> well, he, he raped me. <laughs> You know, because again, you can't really process something that horrific until much, much later. And then she was like, you got to get out of there and had all these plans of how she's going to move me out. And I said, you know, that's not going to (laughs) happen. No, if I'm going to get out of this, I got to do it my way. Because I intuitively knew that the police wouldn't be able to protect me. But I went in there and tried to report it, you know, just to get it on file. And um, they bullied me. They bullied me into telling them they were going to press charges and they were going to said they were going to go after him. And I was like, no, 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 you, you can't do that. I'm still living with this guy. If he knows that I came to you, like, he could hurt me. And they were just such assholes that I finally said, so if I stick to this story, you're going to do whatever you want with that, regardless of what I want you to do. And they're like, yeah, it's out of your hands. And I said, okay, officer, thank you very much. I made it all up. He never raped me. Goodbye. And, you know, and like a really shitty, like, fuck you. You know this happened, but I'm going to recant because you're being a dick. So I left there just furious. And the thing is, you can't get a restraining order against someone you're dating. I mean, you can, but legally they have to tell them that you have a restraining order against them. And the last thing you want to do is provoke this guy. He's the kind of guy where, like, I just believe that he believed in this whole, like, Romeo-Juliet idea of love. Because at one point in time, we were driving, and he almost drove off a cliff with both of us in the car. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So, in my mind, a restraining order wouldn't do any good, because if he just comes to my house once, he could kill me. And he'd been to jail so many times before. He told me he'd been in and out of jail you know, for this or that. He never told me it was for domestic violence, of course. <laughs> um, none of it ever had anything to do with women, of course, like, because he's not going to tell me those stories. It was always like, you know, illegally sleeping on a train or some whatever, but that's not what he was in jail for. Unless they literally lock this man up, I'm not safe in this town because I live in a house with no fucking cell phone service. If he comes to my house, I can't even call the police. I can't text them, (laughs) you know. And their response time would be 30 minutes to get out to my house. Those next few days, though, after the rape, you know, they tell you that you feel dead inside or whatever. Like, that's what everyone tells you. You just feel dead inside. Well, it's true. I've never felt just so... Like It's like someone just ripped out every bit of passion that I had for anything. I just wanted to sleep. I just didn't fucking care. The funny thing is, is the body is, at this point in time, I'd also gotten sick several times just from not using my voice. I developed this crazy throat disease where I had to stay in the emergency room one night because my throat was so infected from 
being so drained from this relationship and silencing myself. I mean, I had no energy anymore. Everyone would say, like, you're not even yourself. You don't smile anymore. And I'm like, I know. I literally feel like the blood has been sucked out of me. You're just in pure survival mode at that point, you know? And I also went to domestic violence shelter after he raped me. And I was like, so I got this situation. <laughs> I'm like leaving town soon. I'm going to get away from this guy. But like, what do I need to be careful about? And they were like, well, look for tracking devices. Look for this, this, and this, and this. I'm like, oh, he's poor. He doesn't have any money. <laughs> he could never afford a tracking device. And they're like, well, just be careful because the sooner you get to the day you're leaving, the more likely you are to get killed by them. <laughs> I was like, oh, thanks. Good to know. <laughs> so at this point in time, like, I just need to buy my time. So uh, my friend Annie was going to be flying in soon to help me pack up and move. And I had kind of created this whole lie about how I'm going to California, but you can join me after I'm out there. Like, just anything to get this guy to just to placate him and not think that we're never going to see each other again. But I think he intuitively knew, you know. And as soon as Annie got there, he started behaving because she's staying with us. She slept outside of my door on the floor like a fucking pit bull just so he knew she was there. She could hear everything. So he would quietly try to have sex with me. I would break out in hives every time I was around this man. That's how allergic my body was to him because my body was so traumatized. And my body's like, why are you with this person? I'm like, shut up, body. Just shut up. I'm leaving. You just need to hold out one more week, you know? It's crazy. So I convinced him to not fuck me for like maybe a few days after he raped me because, you know, I was like, I'm really sore. I'm like hurt. Like he raped me, blah, blah, blah. And then finally he started pressuring me. You know, on some level, he raped me many times because he convinced me out of fear and intimidation to have sex with him. And I cried during the whole thing and he could care less. So it really wasn't consensual sex. And anytime you're fucking a partner you're afraid of, it's, it's not consensual because the consequence... It's getting hurt. So, sorry, that's rape. <laughs> you know, so he violently raped me once and, like, lovingly raped me <laughs> a few times after that. What blew my mind about this whole relationship is that, you know, I've been known for being, like, this, like, adventurous, wild girl. You know, I, I'm not afraid. And people would always say, especially when I was living in my car, aren't you afraid of getting, like, raped and murdered and shit? You know, and I'd always say, no, I mean, life isn't a law and order episode. You know, like, it's not as dangerous out there as you think it is, and I'm not going to fucking stay in my house because you tell me that people are trying to rape me all the time. Who? The boogeyman? Alleged rapists everywhere? Because I'm pretty sure most people who rape get raped are raped by people they know. As it turns out, you know, the only thing I was actually afraid of like truly afraid of was intimacy and relationships and letting someone into my heart and my home. And the irony behind all of this is the one time I let someone in my heart and my home, they not only raped me, they tried to kill me. So that is the reality of being a woman in America is that it's actually way safer out in the woods, in your car, among strangers than it is in our own fucking home. Once he got tired of playing this great guy in front of Annie, he just couldn't pull it off anymore. He started showing his frustrations and whatever. And by the time, like, the last day in town, he basically got so angry because I wouldn't fuck him in the shower that he almost ran me and Annie off the road later on when we were trying to move some stuff. It just, it, everything, it was just fucking chaos. Everything about 
that last week. It would take me hours to even explain that. But we went to the police. I was like, fuck this guy. I told them everything. I just wanted on record because I know he's going to go after another woman. And I wanted there to be proof somewhere that he's done it before. But... I saw one of our friends who was kind of a mutual friend who'd always, you know, he's my friend, but like he'd been nice to Jesse this whole time. I saw him at the store and even on the last day in town, I was still worried if Jesse was going to be okay. This man is so lost. He's so broken. And at this point, I'd done so much to take care of this person. And like I had this maternal thing for this man that I loved that I was at the store I saw him and I was like hey will you check in on him <laughs> like and and Annie in the parking lot she goes he fucking raped you and you're still looking out for him and I'm like I know that's fucked up right <laughs> you know like and the day of before I was leaving because he didn't know exactly when I was leaving he, he just you know anyway I had to be very vague about it because I didn't want to die I was in my bedroom he was laying on my bed and you know he knew the end was near and he just was bawling and i remember looking at him and thinking like he thinks he loves me so much and needs me so much and really it this is about like his mommy issues and his abandonment issues and just women issues that have nothing to do with me but i'm abandoning him in his mind i'm leaving him and i believe firmly that people who act this way justify everything that they do and they believe the lies they tell themselves they're delusional and I think that they believe everything they're doing is for a higher purpose because otherwise you know they'd be fucking like Darth Vader or some shit and even he has like a heart one of the things that made it hard for me to get out is that my ego was really invested in this relationship nothing makes you feel more important than thinking you're the only person that can calm someone down you're the only person that can comfort them that's all ego this guy's fine i'm sure he dated someone right after me and he's probably torturing them too but that's the trick that your ego plays on you is that they're not going to be okay if you leave them and they tell you that you know by threatening suicide and all this other stuff and you know how they say relationships are a lot of work, and they are. But you know what else is a lot of work? Is the relationship with yourself. And this whole time, I had been putting all my emphasis on this relationship with him and completely denying the relationship with myself, and it made me very sick. It's a codependent fucking mess. And I thought to myself, God, I don't want to leave him, and I do love him despite everything he's done to me. But I love myself more. I have to. I have to. And I, I had to keep telling myself that as I left. Annie and I got the fuck out of there, Thelma and Louise style, minus going off of a cliff. A woman saved me, you know, which I liked. I liked that a woman came down to save me because uh, that's kind of nice and poetic. I go to Planned Parenthood because I'd found out when I broke into his phone, I'd found all these emails. He'd been soliciting sex on Craigslist. He'd been placing ads. He'd been answering ads. And I didn't know if this guy had fucked any of these women. And I also want to make sure, like, my vagina's not broken from being raped. You know what I mean? I just, like, check it out down there. And while I'm in the stirrups, 
you know, I kind of like tell her, oh, well, I just got out of like a, an abusive relationship. And she starts kind of asking me questions and basically, you know, she's like, well, did you guys live together? And I'm like, well, I mean, you know, like he kind of like lived with me. He just didn't really pay rent, you know? And then I'm like, actually, <laughs> you know, in that moment, I'm like, I guess he was pretty much homeless. Yeah. I dated a fucking homeless man, you know, because you really can't see how bad things are when you're in the middle of them because your survival mind can't. It needs to do whatever it needs to do. But once you're out of it, you know, the fog is lifted. Not only did I realize I dated a homeless man, but like this man, I had caught him eating dog bones at one point in time. You know, and he he justified, well, when I rode the rails, you know, I used to eat out of trash bins and like dog food's good. And I'm like, "Uh, that's not normal. Like, I don't want to kiss your mouth if you're eating fucking dog food. Okay. None of that anymore. And also to ask him at one point in time, like, why do I never see you brushing your teeth? And he's like, oh, I brush my teeth. And I'm like, when? I've never seen you do it. And oh, out back. I'm like, what? He would brush his teeth with his finger and dirt. And he's like, you don't really need soap. You know, the dirt's an abrasive. And actually, I do believe there's some truth to that, but fuck, dude, come on. You're not touching any of my pink parts with your mouth if you're fucking using dirt to clean it, okay? (laughs) It's not easy to get away from men like this, right? I thought maybe he wouldn't actually come to California. Well, he did. Like a week later, he did. And, uh... He basically was harassing me with texts, you know, or calling, leaving a message about what a whore I am, and I was trying to ignore him. He uh, he sent me a text one day saying, because he knows how to get me. I was shot last night. Thank you very much. Glad to know you have that kind of pull. <laughs> so I'm right back. What? You know, and that part of me is genuinely like, oh my god, yes, <laughs> you know, and um, by who? Are you in the hospital? Why are you not? And he wrote back. No, I've been shot before. Took care of it on my own with needle and dental floss. (laughs) And I actually don't, I don't doubt that he's actually done that before, but I still doubt that he was actually shot. (laughs) And so, and I wrote back, okay, I want to pick, you know, because like at this point I'm like, he's a compulsive liar. I do know that. And that maternal part of me does not believe him anymore. (laughs) And then he wrote back, I don't need no hospitals. You're the one that pushed me to be here anyway. (laughs) Of course. I'm like, all right. So I just wrote back. Okay, first of all, I don't know anybody who would shoot you. I don't even know anyone with a gun. Nobody loves me that much to murder anyone over me. (laughs) And and where did it happen? You know, I I play all like Nancy Drew anytime he starts telling me how. (laughs) I want to catch him in a lie. And he said, it happened downtown near the inn. All the dude said was, this is from Melanie. (laughs) So even though I knew this was bullshit, I got upset and I'm engaging with this man. And that's actually what worried me is that why am I talking to him? So I was like, okay. So I blocked him after that. No more texts from this guy because I don't even have the self-restraint not to engage with him. You know, like you can't engage at all. So because of that, he started a Twitter account under the name Jesse James because he always wanted to be a cowboy. And... um he would tweet at me. He only had four followers, so I wasn't really too worried about anyone reading his tweets. But still, sounds like you enjoy sleeping around at Melanie Hamlet. <laughs> then he sent another one. Wow, cheap date. All it took was a new bra at Melanie Hamlet. I don't even know what he's talking about. You know, like, I don't know what he's talking about. You know, first his profile picture was that little default egg. But then um, he sent me another tweet later on, and he had changed his profile picture to a picture of my vagina. 
Uh, um, I know it was my vagina because I could see my underwear. Like, he pulled my underwear aside to take a picture of it. Now, society would be like, well, that's what you get for sending the <laughs> pictures of your vagina. I didn't send that fucking picture. He took it while I was asleep. Um, so I contacted Twitter and got his account shut down. Anyway, I didn't hear from him for a while. I blocked his number. And then one day, like months later, I get this text from a number that I don't know. And it says, hey, uh, you don't know me, but my name is Jake. You know my friend Jesse. <laughs> I just found out he killed himself. He gave me a letter before he left my house. Just wanted to try to get that letter to you. Is there somewhere I can send it? <laughs> Now, at first, again, I was like, he didn't kill himself, you know? And then I'm like, wait a second. This is all lowercase and no punctuation. This is fucking Jesse, you know? And I'm like, okay. Even though part of me was like, what if it's that? And I'm like, no, I'm sure it is. And so I write back like, what? What happened? When did it happen? What? You know? And he says, he (laughs) he left five days ago. He hung himself. But while he was here, he told me that he fucked up and he shouldn't have given up. (laughs) <laughs> and I write back, I'm like, but wh- when did he do it? Who found him? A couple of friends, they were out in the forest cutting wood and came across him. <laughs> the level of detail that he goes into in these crazy lies just fascinates me. <laughs> and then I keep pressing him for details. I'm like, well, when's the funeral? Because like, I want to catch him in a lie again, you know. And he goes, oh, they buried him under the tree. They found him. <laughs> Nobody would ever do that. <laughs> and of course, then I'm, I'm thinking like, did they find a note around his neck that said, this is what happens when Melanie Hamill loves you? You know, but I don't want to engage this man, right? Uh, he Then he wrote, I don't understand why he did it. If he loved you so much, why? I hate to bring up hard times, but why did you two split? <laughs> and I know he's trying to trap me here, right? So I go, oh, you know... He didn't like it when we talked about our relationship. So I don't think I should talk about that. I know what's going to placate Jake. You know what I mean? So after this back and forth, the very last text he sends me says, Okay, well, I read the letter. There's nothing in there saying that you did this to me. Oops. First person. Oops. You messed up, Jake. Um, If anything, he reads of sorrow and unhappiness of have losing you. He was terrible at grammar. and you know. And then he wrote, Okay, well, have a good day otherwise. (laughs) And that just shows you, like, no human being would ever send a text, hey, your boyfriend that you loved, he killed himself. He hung himself from a tree. They buried him under the tree. But, uh, okay, you don't want the letter? No. Okay, well, have a good day. The thing about this whole story is that, well, I'm free now, you know, like, he's dead. He can't come get me. And I had met, um, I had actually contacted one of his exes and I said, hey, uh, I just broke up with Jesse and should I be worried? Like, is he going to try to come find me? Is he going to, like, kill me maybe? And she wrote back saying, "This that guy's crazy. Last time I saw him, he left me for dead on railroad tracks with strangulation marks around my neck and broken ribs when the police carried him away. He will never leave you alone. He still sends me pictures of his dick going into my ass six years later. But he can't do that to me now because he's quote-unquote dead. So on some level, I am free. One of the things that drives me crazy about the way people talk about 
these kinds of relationships is, you know, why didn't she just leave? Why did she stay? I used to be these people. I used to be like, what's wrong with that stupid bitch, man? Duh, get out of there, you know? Well, it's a lot more complicated. There's emotions involved. There's love involved. Luckily, I didn't have children and I wasn't financially dependent on this fucking guy. There's that maternal instinct that worries about them and feels like you have to take care of them. And then there's that part of you that's been beaten down emotionally by someone who calls you a whore all the time and makes you feel worthless that even when it is time to go, you don't even believe in yourself anymore. You don't even like yourself enough to get out of there. But people, they they call women stupid and they call these men monsters. Well, that doesn't serve anybody. They're not monsters. They are our brothers, our husbands, our boyfriends, our bosses at work, our coworkers, our teachers, cops. They are men all over our community and they're not monsters. They're sick people who belong in jail, but they're human beings that people fall in love with. So not only is it demeaning to them and dehumanizing to them, but it's also super patronizing to do that because it it makes the women who date them feel like morons for having dated them. I didn't fall in love with a monster. I fell in love with a man who was super sweet to me and showed me affection and gave me a lot of, made me laugh. And yes, he's broken and fucked up, but he hit it really well. So I'm not a stupid bitch for getting involved with him. I'm not an idiot. I'm not a crazy woman. We're all broken on some level, but some of us are way more fucked up. Um, After I got back out of this relationship, I waited a year before I dated anyone because I didn't want to bring this trauma into a new relationship. I have a very high standard of dating now. I never would have been this... I have an open heart, but it's guarded now. I don't just let anybody in because you can't. That's dangerous. So I don't even go on dates with guys that show red flags anymore. I can tell by the way they text me if they value me or if they're a narcissist. And I don't accept any bullshit anymore. And all the guys I've gone on dates with and gotten involved with have been very, very nice guys. Really good men. And I've never been in that situation before where I actually trust myself and I trust my intuition and I listen to it. I dated this one guy for like six weeks and then he like ended up basically ghosting me. And I know why. He wasn't ready. He'd actually kind of even said that in the beginning. I didn't listen. But um, but he was a good man. And I remember just being so hurt, you know, because I'm like, fuck. You know, like I had opened my heart up again. It wasn't even about him. It was about trusting someone again and feeling betrayed and just feeling so vulnerable all over again. And I was bawling for days. I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever been through. And I remember I'm just crying. And I had this intuitive thought that it was like, yeah, but he didn't like rape you or try to kill you. And I thought, you know, you're right. (laughs) He just ghosted me. Like, that's no big deal. Other than murdering someone, raping someone is the worst thing you can do to someone because it kills their spirit, right? And, like, I got over that. I'm doing great now. Like, I'm doing wonderful now. I can get over ghosting. I can get over anything. I'm unfucking breakable at this point. You know, it's a sad way to get to that point, but nothing can break me now. And that's a pretty fucking awesome place to be. Well, it ain't no use to sit and wonder why, baby Even you don't know by now 
And it ain't no use to sit and wonder why, baby It'll never do somehow When your rooster crows at the break of dawn Look out your window and I'll be gone You're the reason I'm traveling on But don't think twice, it's alright That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is a certain Nobel Prize winner behind me now. And we just heard from Melanie Hamlet, who you can find at MelanieHamlet.com. Now, folks, do you live in New York City or anywhere near? Because our shows at the Bell House are amazing. You got to come out and support us if you're in New York. Don't forget. Don't think, oh, my God, they're there every month. I can put it off. No. These live shows, it's so powerful to see it live. And our Bell House shows are just so amazing. People are always thrilled that they came out. On October 26th, that's Wednesday, we have Broadway legend Charles Bush. We have Adam Strauss, whose show The Mushroom Cure is amazing. Michaela Murphy will be there. Mark Pagan, Samantha Ruddy. October 26th at the Bell House. It's just going to be an amazing show. Now, on November 11th, we're in New Orleans, folks. Come on out, New Orleans. We're there on November 11th. The very next day, November 12th, we are in Baltimore. Come on out, Baltimore. On November 18th, we're in Chicago, Illinois. We're still taking pictures for that, Chicago. Go to the submissions page at wristjazzshow.com. The theme that night on November 18th in Chicago is Frenzy. On November 19th, we're back in Los Angeles at the Bootleg Theater. And that is all I'll say for now, except that if you're interested in learning how to tell stories, go to thestorystudio.org. I do one-on-one training with people over Skype. We also have video courses that you can take in your own time. We do corporate storytelling workshops. We've worked with folks like Google, Citibank, the Soros Foundation, Pfizer, USA Today, American Express, Sunglass Hut, Princeton University. So many amazing workshops we've done with so many different kinds of groups. So... Learn more about how you can get into storytelling or your business can learn about business communications using narrative and business communications at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. And then there's guys who respect women and would do anything just to be engaged with you. They want to earn the ability to touch your body. They want to impress you. They want to, like, they want to please you. Because those are the guys who are going to be really good at eating pussy and won't try to kill you. 